Joining us now, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz and our good friend, David Locke. Hi, David. Hello, guys. How are you? Hey, we're doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. Did you see the... Night without basketball and a night without hockey. What do we do tonight? Yeah, what do we do? What are you going to do? Uh, well, I'm with my wife and son traveling the East oh. Coast right now, so I'm oh. sure we'll find something to do in Boston. Oh, yeah. There's probably plenty to do. David, uh, I saw uh, uh, Snowbird tweeted this out today that they got 58 feet of snow this year and could be open until Father's Day. Well, they will be open Memorial Day weekend, and I plan to be there. I was going to say. 58 feet of snow this year? Yeah. I'm really glad, though, to be honest with you. I'm glad that my wife's out of town right now because I'm not sure she'd stay with me <laughs> if it snowed at our house for five straight days in the middle of May. <laughs> well, it, it very well. I know she likes me, but I don't know that she likes me that much. <laughs> uh, David, uh, we're glad to have you on today. We've got had a tuple, couple of kind of running topics we want to run by you. Uh, let's start with Gordon and I were talking about who is the Jazz most valuable player? Who is the most valuable player to the Jazz and what they do? What do you think? Rudy, because he's the one that puts you in the top five offensively or defensively. Um you know, you need Donovan, too, and Joe brings a lot of different things to him. And, you know, proportion, I think, you know, Ricky had a little bit of a pulse of the team there for a while that if he's not back, we'll have to be rebuilt. But um, And Dave was kind of the ultimate pro. So all these guys have um, their own redeeming value. But Rudy is the one that puts you into the top five as a defensive team and, and higher just with his presence and you know, you can run all sorts of different lineups, different things, but boy, when Rudy's on the floor, we're good. So, David, uh, Josh Hart kind of stepped in it uh, today uh, when he was discussing uh, the way certain analytics folks in, uh, are so important to the league. He said that some 45-year-old guy who never played the game is relying on analytics and doesn't know what he's doing, essentially, and he just described Frank I'm Vogel. 48. But I appreciate the compliment. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, he wasn't specifically talking about me. Okay, no, not you, Frank. His new coach. And so, uh, I guess first of all, have you ever, for a man who has done a lot of talking through his career, have you ever uh, said something uh, that probably was the wrong thing to say at the wrong time, like that? Yes, I have a terrible moment. Um, it happened in the San Antonio uh, media room. Um, with a bunch of people I really respect greatly around the table. And if any of them are listening right now, they know exactly what it is. I think about it every day. It was awful. I totally misspoke to what I meant to say and made a completely terrible step in it um, and been mortified still to this day and appreciate all those people for still being my friend. <laughs> Do you want to give us the details? Nope. <laughs> but that one's easy. I, have, I mean, I, I could apologize every day of my life for the, just the way I misspoke on what came out of my mouth compared to what I meant to say. Well, Gordon and I were talking about what is the perfect marriage between, say, the eye test and analytics, and are the most successful, uh, I guess, people that use it but don't necessarily rely on it? How do you come out on that debate? Um, I mean, I think it is a marriage. I think that's the right thing. But I, I also 
you know, I really believe that emotion is a bad thing when making decisions, just fundamentally. And it leads you to, um, it lead, it, it, it can really lead you to making big mistakes. So that if you're making a decision in which emotion, emotion is involved at all, which is almost every single decision in a high stress circumstance, you better go get analytics to make sure that your decision is right. Like you could, you can decide that, you know, Ricky Rubio is the worst shooter ever and he kills us every single time. And, and then every time he misses a shot, like, you know, it wears you, you know, it wears you out. And that's suddenly what emotionally you're focused on. Well, what happens if the team's actually better when he's on the floor? And what happens if there's about three other things that are actually better when he's on the floor? But all you ever notice is he misses the shot and it drives you crazy or, or, you know, the amount of times that, Somebody drives in the lane and Ricky Rubio's man is there to cut him off because Rubio, they never guard Rubio. Whatever the emotional thing is that drives you crazy, okay, that's, that probably is accurate. But what else is in the picture that you're ignoring at that moment with that emotion? And so let's make sure that the analytics back up. And then there are areas where I think you can really get an edge analytically um, and the Jazz did that this year with shot distribution. I, I believe the Jazz won uh, a large amount of games this year solely based on the fact that their shot distribution was far better than everybody else in, in the NBA. Now, the problem with that is you go do that in the regular season, the other postseason teams are good at it, too. That's what Milwaukee's running into this a little bit right now. Milwaukee and Utah had a much better shot distribution, which I really believe is kind of the next money ball of what's taking place. And, and now I think the next money ball I talked about with Tony and Austin a little bit this week, I think is, is how to increase transition um, and what you're doing to get possessions in transition at a higher rate than the rest of the league and, and or easy high, you know, maybe that's offensive rebounding. Maybe that's um, getting out and running. Maybe that's not, re- not worrying about defensive rebounding in the same way. I don't know what it is entirely, um, but there are things that analytically you can look at. If, um, for example, I'll give another one. Um, so the league average, the, the top offensive rebounding teams in the league used to be about 27, 28%. The best in the league were 30%. So the, there really wasn't that big a difference, right? Like you're not getting 100 offensive rebounding opportunities at night. So it was kind of one to one and a half rebounds a game, and the league all decided that the right decision is to um, offensive rebounding and get back in transition defense because that one rebound a game wasn't worth the extra. Well, now the league average of rebound offensive rebounding is about 22%. Well, then, now wait a sec. If you can get up to 30%, now we're talking about two or three a game. Well, that might begin to get worth it, right? So now you're talking about, well, if I get two or three extra possessions a game instead of just one, Maybe it is worth putting an emphasis on offensive rebounding. We've seen in the playoffs that offensive rebounding has been really, really important in games. Have you had a time, David, as you have uh, uh, worked through numbers and crunched them and, and thrown them up in the air like you're eating at Benihana's or something and then consume them, have you ever found some that were misleading? Well, I mean, I think you've got a. I mean, I've had a, a million projects that didn't work. So, and I've had a million projects that I would never tell anyone. Does that make sense? 
So, I mean, I've done a lot of projects, but I'm like, I'm not convinced that they told me what they wanted me to tell. And so I don't know if that's misleading. That I just think doesn't have a lot of value. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm a geek. Like, I'll sit around tonight and actually, you know, with no games, probably find I have a project or two I've had in my mind, and I have a list of them that are just in my Evernote of things I want to try to analyze and look at. And a lot of nights I'll just sit there and play with them and fiddle around and find absolutely nothing and then call it good. So I would hope that if you're good enough with the numbers that you that you can look at it in a manner that uh, you understand where your data doesn't have the right thing. I'm actually going to take another linear progression class online this summer so that I can get better at this kind of stuff. Um, but I think that that's when you, when you analyze these numbers, I mean, I guess they can, I don't think they should be misleading if you understand the game, you understand the numbers. Does that make sense? Gordon? Yeah, I, I've just, you know... The, I mean, I've seen other people's numbers I think are horse crap, and I think they're misleading. <laughs> but I shouldn't be... I mean, I really do. I Tom Haverster, who's really brilliant, put out a piece that was just terrible this year. Um, I see a lot of stuff I think is just awful. and um, But I... But you shouldn't put out your own stuff and see it as misleading, because you should be able to... Rec- if you understand what you're doing, you recognize that. I was talking to a, a guy in a front office for an NBA team uh, in the Eastern Conference, and he was he was sort of uh, down on some analytics. He thought they were being relied on too much, and he didn't get specific with me. But he he was kind of that was his attitude, uh, and I don't I don't know exactly why, but that that was the realm in which he worked, and that made me that made me wonder a little bit. Well, I mean. I have to know what he's talking about, so that's pretty hard to comment off of. I think there's, you know, I think there are some things that people don't quite grasp yet, like an open three-point shot. I think in the league, the league average on that is only 36 or 37%. I mean, the rim is the holy grail still in regards to shot distribution. It's not three. Um, But if you're not going to get the rim, you better go shoot a three. Like, the mid-range shots are just not efficient, and they're very hard to be efficient. There's some value for individual players to take them that opens up other things in their game. And if you're going to be a high-usage player, you probably have to play him. But frankly, Donovan Mitchell is that player for us, and he has got to find a way to stop taking the shots he's taking in the paint as floaters. They're just terribly inefficient. They skyrocketed this year, and he's going to have to learn. Even if he were to make them at a high rate, they're an inefficient shot. If he made them at the highest rate of anyone in the league, and he's certainly not doing that. So he's going to have to find a way to either get all the way to the basket or to dribble out, Nash dribble out into something else or understand how to recognize things differently because his his floater game is just not is is terribly inefficient. Um so even, you know, you can argue about well, we need to make threes in the playoffs, but you know, that's not there's a script where you can make threes. There's no script where that actually becomes efficient. David Locke with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Switching gears just a little bit, David. What did you think about Magic going scorched earth on the Lakers the other day? Um, I actually haven't heard it specifically. I've just read about, about, a lot about it. Um, you know, there are not very many uh, superstars of former teams, franchise-type players that are in the front offices of their team um, after they retire. And... Um, most of them end really, really badly uh, when it does happen. Um, Isaiah Thomas 
has been a disaster. Magic's been a disaster. Other people on a lower level, um, whether it's coming in to try to work with players for a short period of time and think that their expertise of 15 years ago qualifies, or whether it's claiming you want to coach but not really wanting to coach. And I want to be involved, which really just means I want a lot of praise because I'm bored. Nobody cheers for me when I go to the grocery store. It's a bad model. It hasn't worked. Um, and Magic, you know, Magic went and scorched earth is a great way to say it. And it's, you know, he's now, and he has been for a long time, actually. He, he is a detriment to the Lakers rather than an asset. And quite frankly, most superstars, after they retire, become a detriment to the franchise, not an asset. Mm. David, uh, speaking of eye tests, this is kind of a weird question, and, and I, I want to ask it the right way because some people have suggested erroneously that the uh, Warriors are better without Kevin Durant than they are with him, which is a joke. But do you enjoy watching the Warriors play as constituted now as opposed to when KD is on the floor? I enjoy watching them way more. Steph's better than KD. And so when Steph is their primary player for those five minutes, if you take a five-minute increment and I have a choice of having Steph be their primary player with Draymond handling or KD, the team that's on them for 48 minutes, having both of them is an incredible, incredible luxury that is, makes them a better team. But if you if you give me one possession or – or five minutes or something of that nature, the team that they have out there right now with Steph as the corner piece. He's, Steph has revolutionized the game offensively and what he does in regards to gravity and um, efficiency. He and Durant were about the same this year, but Cade, he's been better um, during the year. And if you go look inside the numbers and of kind of on-floor, off-floor numbers on the Warriors, and you have to clear out a bunch of noise. But if you look at, like, Steph's on the floor, Durant's off, Durant's on, Steph's off, they're all better with just Steph than Durant. So they are a they, – the reason they're a better team with Durant is because it gives them multiple options and lets them do things, and Steph doesn't have to run around like a madman like he is right now in every play. But if you give me two minutes or three minutes – and I have my cho- and you give me the choice. Can I play the team that's been playing most recently, or can I play the team that has to acquiesce to Durant as well? I- I'm taking the team. Uh, I'm taking the team with Steph uh, for for a short period of time. But uh, that does not mean that they are a better team. If you understand what I'm saying, without Steph. Um, they- but they are. I mean, they are just with when Ste- Steph is. Still, I think, uh, maybe the most underrated player in the league. Who do you see coming out of the East, David? I thought Milwaukee the whole time. I think they're – I mean, I, it's interesting. Toronto's the best team I saw at any point this year, but um, I really like um, – you know, the numbers on Milwaukee are, are awesome this year. Um, they, they've been one of the best teams the league has seen in 20 or 30 years if you actually dig into – you know, what, not the best, but the level that they are on is, is an elite level. Um so I think I, I think Milwaukee pulls this thing off. I was a little surprised by um, last night. I, I thought that Milwaukee would win last night, so I'm a little surprised. Um, but it's not. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but I, I, that would be my answer. I, I think I like um, Milwaukee more, but Kawhi certainly has has been the superstar. And I would say that um, 
last two games are probably not a fair sample, but the flaw in Giannis's MVP campaign is you can't give him the ball in the final five minutes of a close game, and that, that, that hurts him a little bit. By the way, Warriors with Steph on the floor and not Durant were, I think, plus six this year. Warriors on the floor with Durant but not Steph were plus one. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's so visually appealing to watch them play right now. And, and yeah, Durant's, but, but he's a over a course of 48 minutes, having Durant makes you better. Yeah. David, you've been asked this question a thousand times, and we've probably asked it to you uh, uh, 500 times, but uh, our listeners love to hear it coming from you. Best guesses about what's going to happen this offseason with the Jazz. What uh, What do you think is a reasonable expectation? What are you thinking? I don't know, because um, I just think there's so many different scenarios that are going to take place and so many um, – dominoes that fall and I don't think the Jazz are in a position in which they're dictating the dominoes so you know if Kyrie goes to the Knicks does that mean Kemba's homeless if D'Angelo Russell goes somewhere and you know I mean I just think um, uh, there's just so many different aspects to I mean I can just keep playing um um you know, there's just, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I could I could try to go so many different um, ways to, um, um, I mean, right? I mean, I'm just trying to think it through, right? So, I mean, if Jimmy Butler signs with the Knicks, then Tobias Harris is staying in Philly. But if Jimmy Butler stays, I think Tobias Harris would probably want to leave. Um, and... Uh, if Kyrie goes to the Knicks with Durant, then Kemba needs a home. And if, but if Kemba, if Kyrie goes to the Lakers with LeBron, then does Kemba want to go back home to New York? And what is Brooklyn really doing this year with D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie? And I, I just think all of those. If Kawhi goes to the Clippers, then is Durant going with Kawhi, or is somebody else going with Kawhi? And then Kyrie needs a different home. And and then Kyle Lowry's available. And I just think all of these different things are going to happen and the Jazz have to be ready to pounce. And I'm not sure. And maybe their pounce is a max offer to someone at July 1 at mid, you know, at the first second saying to them, you're our guy. We want you. Here's your max contract. Don't wait it out. Um, we only have four days before we have to guarantee favors, so we can't play this game. And maybe they'll be able to dictate the tempo of what takes place. But my my feeling is they're going to be a little bit at the whim of everybody else, and then they get into a really tough bind because the favors contract comes up on them. And the minute they sign favors, then they can't do any max deals anymore, and they can't really afford to let not sign favors if they don't have that max deal signed. That was so confusing, but I think it sums up exactly why this is um way it is. I want to take a minute if I can. Are we are we wrapped? I wanted to I'm okay. end on a somber I'm going to end on a somber note, but I just wanted to I wanted to give a shout out um there's a wonderful woman or 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 was a wonderful woman who used to host the media room uh, for all of us. And, uh, Sylvia just had a spirit and a fire about her. Um, when we saw her every day, we came into the media room. She just, she joked at 20 years 
or uh, 30 years lesser age. She was talking about the cute guys all the time and stuff like that. She just had a great fire to her, uh, made me smile every time. I love seeing her. I think I had a little extra hip in my step every single time I got near the media room because I knew I was going to see her. Uh, she's been battling cancer and we haven't seen her in about eight months and um, she she passed um, and will be really seriously missed. So I wanted to to give a shout out to Sylvia. She was a part of our game day experience at the Jazz Games and just made, I can just speak for myself, but I'm certain I'm not the only one. It's just a little extra fire in your day every single time you came into the arena because she just had such an exuberance and such a little great energy and she just was so spunky and, and, and had a had a little, just a little devilish smile to her sweetness every single day that made it so fun to see her and uh, so really sad. To, you know, I knew she was really battling tough cancer and we knew um, uh, at the last home game, I talked to some people and we kind of realized things weren't going well. So uh, we lost a great one today. And, uh, or I don't, I don't know if it was today. I found out about it today, but uh, I just want to give a shout out to her family and uh, both of them. I'm sure Gordon, you have a thought as well as, you know, she, you saw her a thousand times or at least 42 times a year. So uh, just a great smile and so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, amen to everything you just said, David. Sylvia was Man, she was a joy, no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it, David. Thanks for bringing that up, and thanks, as always, for coming on with us. Enjoy your vacation, man. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, David.